So, as a faithful descendant of 13 generations of Southern Appalachia, I offer you today a brief education in a few of our favorite expressions. These will resonate with many of you. It will confound some, but will hopefully bridge the communication gap in these divisive days. So here they are. Number one, you are getting too big for your britches. This was a favorite of my mother's, by the way, usually directed at me. And it's rather obvious. It describes a person who has an inflated opinion of himself, someone who has forgotten his place. The origin of the phrase is wonderful. It's how Davy Crockett described Andrew Jackson. Davy said, I fought with Jackson. I helped him gain his glory. But when a man gets too big for his britches, I say goodbye. I love that. Number two, high on the hog. The better cuts of meat on a pig are higher up on the animal. The shoulder, the rump, the back. But only those who had money could afford to eat high on the hog. And those who didn't have money had to eat the pork belly, the knees, and the feet. But that's where very good barbecue comes from if you know how to smoke it slow. Number three, that dog won't hunt. It's an expression describing a thing, sometimes a person or a situation that will not do as it should. The dog should assist the hunter in bringing home food for the table, but all he does is lay around on the front porch. That dog won't hunt. Number four, if the creek don't rise. Now the full expression is, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. And it means, barring some unexpected bad weather, I will engage in whatever it is I am planning to do. If it rains too hard, if it rains too much, and the creek rises, I not, might not be able to fulfill my plans. But there's a secondary interpretation to this one as well, a minority explanation of the saying, that it could possibly be referring to the creek nation. An American Indian tribe of the mountain south, if they got on the war path, if they rise, I might not be able to continue with my plans. Number five, walking in high cotton. Now, before the Civil War and after the Civil War, cotton was king in the south. My grandparents, my parents, and all their siblings have these dramatic, back-breaking tales of hand-picking cotton. And if you were walking in high cotton, it meant that your crop was tall and strong. That the cotton, which can be waist deep sometimes, had made it to harvest and that you were going to make some money at last. Life was good walking in high cotton. Number six, a hill of beans. As in, Garrett won't ever amount to a hill of beans. It's an old English expression Preserved in the South, beans were as cheap of a seed as you could buy, and you could get tons for just pennies. So someone who would not amount to a hill of beans was someone with very little potential. I don't mean that directed at Garrett. I was just looking at him when I said that. So there is a very distinct Jack and the Beanstalk vibe going on with that saying. Now you'll notice that most of these sayings are indirect. For example, you're too big for your britches, lands more gently on the ear than stop being an arrogant fool. And that's the southern way. Say what you mean, but say it in a way that is colorful. 
that dodges and spins, that has multiple means of expression. That's probably a leftover from our Irish roots in the mountain south, but that's how you're supposed to speak in the south. It's playful, it's rooted in story, it's polite, but oh so deadly with intent. And you had to know this was coming. No southern phrase captures the dialectical drama any better than this one in the south. Bless your heart. It is the southern phrase for all seasons and all situations. Now, if, for example, I see someone behaving in such a way as to embarrass themselves or a person who is acting stupidly or incompetently but is supremely unaware of his incompetence, I might turn to you quietly and forlornly, and say, well, bless his heart. The meaning is clear. He really can't help it. He should be pitied. But if you come to me and tell me about a recent health diagnosis, that you have been ill, and I emphatically say, bless your heart, then it is a word of solidarity and understanding Not pity at all. It comes from the very bowels of compassion and care. But if you tell me that you broke your ankle, the result of falling down the stairs because you were trying to read your phone after two glasses of wine, and I say to you, well, bless your heart, it's neither pity nor compassion. It's a subversive way of calling you a dumbass. Oh, the versatile Swiss army knife of southern linguistics good for all occasions and it can be deployed in multiple situations intended to comfort or to wound to unite or to divide to self-depreciate or to assault it all depends upon the context the tone the individuals involved in the exchange and their relationships with each other the person doing the blessing and the person or situation being blessed You have to have situational awareness to know how it is being used, and only then can you know the best way to respond. But I can remove some of the mystery. If someone says to you, bless your heart, the rule of thumb is this. Just take it. Just go with it. If it is said to you with condensation, with an air of scorn, then do a self-assessment. Are you being a bonehead? Are you acting stupidly? If someone says it to you with compassion and grace because they really don't know what else to say, receive it as a prayer, the words of a friend who is with you in your time of trouble. If they say it to you with snark or sarcasm, well, you probably deserve it. And laughing at yourself is probably the best course of action. So just receive it. Just take it. Let it land on you. No response is required. It will do the work it is intended to do because that's what a blessing does. And here's this marvelous blessing today where we get our heart blessed and everything else. This great priestly blessing of Aaron, brother of Moses, cast out onto the people of Israel, cast out onto us today to receive as our own. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace.
Of all the scripture you have ever heard me read or recite over the years, this one you have heard the most. Now, to my knowledge, I've never given a talk on this text here. But I have never dedicated a baby. I have hardly ever officiated a wedding. And rarely have I buried the dead without these words somewhere in the course of those events being on my lips. It is the Swiss army knife of blessings, good for all occasions. Notice it is a double blessing in triplet form. There are six invocations. First, the Lord bless you and protect you. The word bless here means to kneel, to crouch. The prayer is that God would come down to you. God isn't blessing you like a monarch holding out a scepter for you as the lowly peon that you are just to reach out and to touch it shamefully. It's not Michelangelo's God on the roof of the Sistine Chapel just casually extending a hand toward Adam. No, this is the God who kneels, who stoops, who comes down to meet us, to bless us, and that second word, to protect us. The older English translations say keep. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And that's probably closer because the Hebrew word here describes the keeping of a garden. And if you've ever kept a garden, you know you have to tend it. You have to give it your loving attention. You have to cultivate it. You have to stay with it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God come down to you and tend to you. Keep you. And then the second phrase, may the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. Again, I prefer the older translation probably because I have recited it so many times in the older rendering. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This is pretty easy to understand, I think, in, in light of the events of this last year. Back in 2014, the world experienced the largest Ebola epidemic in its history. Uh, Ebola has only been around about 50 years, and the science around it is very sketchy at times. It's hard to treat. There were 30,000 confirmed cases back in 2014, which seems so small in light of where we are now, 90 million cases of COVID-19. Let us thank God that the coronavirus does not have the same mortality rate as Ebola, which is about 75%. But because Ebola is so deadly, convincing people to keep social distance and to wear a mask is not a problem. Healthcare workers in particular dress like they are on a hazmat team trying to contain a nuclear meltdown. And in the midst of that outbreak years ago, I heard a radio interview when the Ebola hysteria was really nearing its peak. There was an American nurse in West Africa working to heal the people there. And the interviewer asked a very good question. What materials or supplies do you need to improve your work? And I waited to hear the nurse talk about more money and more hospital beds, and more IVs, or what have you. And I'm sure all of that was needed. But the nurse gave the most beautiful answer. She said this, What we need are new biohazard suits, ones with full, clear screens, so the patients can see our faces. 
She went on to describe their current outfits. Bulky, hot, tiny little eye holes to look out of. It sounded like a poorly prepared ghost costume by Charlie Brown for Halloween. And then she spoke how these patients were scared. They were sick with this terrible disease. They were afraid of dying, isolated from their family and from their friends. And they were being cared for by foreigners, by strangers who didn't even necessarily speak their language. And then she said this, quote, We can smile with our eyes, but we need these new seats, suits so they can see our faces so that they will be less afraid. Makes all the sense in the world. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And then the third one. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. The word for peace is shalom. It is the best Hebrew word I know among the very best words I know in any language. It is more than the absence of war. More than the serenity of stillness. And though it is the traditional Hebrew greeting, it is certainly much more than howdy or aloha or hello. Shalom is a wish for someone to have the best possible life in a world put together in the best possible way. To say shalom is to speak hope and joy over someone. It is praying that they would be just and loved and live in a just and beloved world. It is an invocation. It is a benediction all wrapped into one. May life be for you as it should be. So parse this priestly blessing down. And it's okay to do so. In the original Hebrew, the prayer only contains 12 words. One word for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Only 12 words. Six invocations. Reduce it just a bit further and you have three basic elements. Protection, presence, and peace. Pray this prayer for your spouse for your children, for your grandchildren, for your parents, for your neighbors, for your partner, your friends, the beloved ones in your life. If you pray this prayer for them, this is what you are asking. May God protect you. May God grant you his presence. May God give you peace. Is there anything better than that? Is it any wonder why the Hebrew people have prayed this simple little prayer for thousands and thousands of years? And if you do a deep dive into biblical literature, you discover that the oldest words of the Bible ever recovered anywhere in the world and in the history of the world are the words from this blessing stamped on a necklace found in Jerusalem from 3,000 years ago. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. They still say this prayer, the Jewish people. At the beginning of the Jewish New Year, the rabbi will raise his hands for the priestly blessing. 
And remember that the prayer is a double blessing and triplet. There are six invocations, and I've included an image here for you, for you to see the eye, the hands. The rabbi or the leader will stretch his hands out over the congregation, creating six points of contact. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face to you and be gracious to you. The Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Does this look familiar to anybody? This is an excerpt from Ron Feinberg offering us a dash of his Jewish upbringing and a little more. Quoting Ron. Several years ago when I was working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I wrote a news brief about a little controversy brewing in the Jewish community there. Apparently some local rabbis were upset with a new art exhibit at the Jewish Community Center featuring nude photos of a woman draped in religious garb and not much else. The exhibit was drawn from a book of photography entitled Shekinah, created by Leonard Nimoy, who played the legendary Mr. Spock on Star Trek. Almost said Star Wars. That's how I'm programmed. Some critics found the photos revolutionary, others salacious. Most in the Orthodox community across metro Atlanta were outraged and demanded that the center shut down the exhibit and, if possible, beam Mr. Spock far, far away. The following morning when I checked my emails, I had a note from a Leonard Nimoy asking if I was interested in hearing the real story of the Shekinah. In utter amazement, I realized that Mr. Spock was trying to reach me. After jumping over a few minor logistical hurdles, I eventually hooked up with the Vulcan and had a delightful conversation. He told me in detail how he sat next to his grandfather as a child, enthralled by the pageantry of the Jewish high holiday service at his synagogue, especially the moment when the Kohanim, blessed the congregation. The Kohanim, mysteriously shrouded in their prayer shawls, gathered together in front of the ark. The prayer leader slowly chants the ancient words of the iconic blessing with his hands in place. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you Shalom. Years later, it was that memory, he said, that led to his development of the Vulcan greeting. Hand held out in front of his face, the middle and ring fingers spreading apart in that now very familiar pose. And the four-word greeting, usually uttered oh so emotionlessly in the Spock way, echoes the original priestly blessing of the ancient Hebrew people. May you live long and prosper. Feinberg concludes, I could wish nothing better for all of us as we begin a new year, and neither can I. So I will do more than bless your heart today, lest there be any misunderstanding of my intent. I wish you nothing but God's protection God's presence, and God's peace in these perilous days. May the Lord 
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Amen.